Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening. My name is Sarah Baumert. I am a yoga teacher, Feldenkrais practitioner, and host of the Sarah B. Yoga podcast. The Sarah B. Yoga podcast and my practice, Body Matter, is an interdisciplinary learning space where we explore the many ways that movement can help facilitate body acceptance and awareness, reduce pain and stress, regulate the nervous system, and build strength and ease. My teaching plays with the synthesis of Feldenkrais Awareness Through Movement lessons, traditional yoga asana, creative imagery, breathing exercises, self-massage, and a compassionate mindset to help you feel a greater sense of ease and comfort in yourself. Serebi Yoga and Body Matter have a lot of other program offerings. These podcasts are just a taste of my teaching. Each week, I teach a range of online classes, including a gentle yoga class, a level two class for more advanced students, and Feldenkrais classes with monthly themes, anatomy lessons, and Q&A sessions for more in-depth study. I have two new courses starting at the end of February. One is my continued Monday night blending of yoga and Feldenkrais class. This series will have a focus on the pelvic floor, the psoas, and the abdominal complex. Each class will use pelvic floor mapping as an entry point for a well-rounded practice. The second course is the secret language of the arms, where we will explore Feldenkrais lessons that offer the hidden potential within the upper body. You might imagine this scenario. You go to just grab your phone and check on something, and before you know it, that kind of gripping action of your hands of holding the phone starts to create a tension that travels up your arms to your neck, to your jaw, to your chest. You might even realize that you've been holding your breath, and you're somewhat lost in this digital world as your body braces. And for what, really? We've all been there uncomfortable with the tension that comes from our technology, where the strain travels from our fingertips up through our arms, into our shoulders, our chest, even to our foreheads. And none of us are immune to these kinds of modern day scenarios. So in this series, The Secret Language of the Arms, each lesson will include two components. We'll move from microcosm to macrocosm and connect the dots along the way. So you can think microcosm, an exploration of the articulation and functional coordination of the smaller joints, like the fingers, the wrists, the elbows. And then we'll expand outwards, discovering how your arms integrate with the whole self, feeling the way your spine, your ribs, even your legs and your feet, how they contribute to the harmony of the movement of your arms. No Feldenkrais lesson is complete without an integration of the whole self. While there will be this focus on the upper extremities, these will be whole body lessons. You can find a link for these two new spring courses that start at the very end of February, beginning of March. Find all of that in the show notes or just visit body-matter.com. I hope to see some of you there. Okay, on to today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Sarah B. Yoga podcast. This podcast is an intersection of my yoga teaching and my training in the Feldenkrais method. My classes are a mixture of yoga, Feldenkrais awareness through movement, self-massage, breathing exercises, 
movement puzzles, and a compassionate mindset. But today, there is no class. Today, I decided to do a reintroduction. I wanted to do a reintroduction because I actually have never done an introduction. And I know there are a lot of new listeners right now, and this podcast does date way back to 2007. And yes, I am only on the 83rd episode after almost 13 years. But I guess the the turtle did win the race, right? So, so even if you've been listening way back since the days of me teaching live class in the yoga studio with a tiny little recorder, or if you've known me since the beginning of my teaching, this could still be a fun listen. And the main reason I wanted to do a reintroduction is that I am posting episodes more often. There was obviously a really big lapse, and I can't say I know another podcast that is out there that posts one episode a year. There was a time in my life there where I think it was about one episode a year. So I'm happy to sort of make fun of myself about that. But now the new episodes are coming out on Fridays and I am trying to post weekly, but you know, sometimes things come up and podcasting is in no way my full-time job. I do have a yoga and Feldenkrais practice. That is what I do full-time. I teach multiple classes and courses a week and I have a Feldenkrais functional integration private practice where I see clients five days a week. So if Friday rolls around and the podcast class has been planned and recorded and edited and posted, then it's been a good but probably pretty busy week for me. And so at the at the start of the pandemic, I was hearing from a lot of my listeners And it turned out that people were still using the podcast, especially during that time when it wasn't possible at all to go to a regular yoga studio. And people were just finding the podcast as a very grounding resource. And also podcast listeners started showing up in my Zoom classes and It was such a joy to meet these people. Some of them are now my weekly students, and I love that the connection goes back years from them listening to some of the early episodes and being podcast students. So I myself have always been a podcast listener, and way back when I decided to start the Serebi Yoga podcast, that was when the iPod was just invented and it's recently been put to bed. And the idea of a podcast, well, a lot of people didn't know what a podcast even was. But I've always loved the the medium of, of audio and the podcast medium. And I think there's something really liberating as a student to be able to hear really clear verbal instructions and not have to have a visual image 
when you're taking class. And I know many people find that they actually pay attention better because they have to be listening. Otherwise, they, they'll get lost. So I think this leaves a lot of space for the student to have more individual growth and insight when it's just an audio class. But I also understand that that's not for everyone and the visual element can make it more accessible for some people. Those first early episodes, the audio quality of the Sarah B. Yoga podcast is quite horrible and the teaching is very different from what I do now. Although the students, that being you, have asked me to keep those old episodes up. So I'm thinking of those as archived episodes. And some of you have favorites that you do weekly or favorites that have gotten you through injuries or pregnancies or sleepless nights. And so I'll keep them up, although I my teaching has really changed since then. And I can assure you that the future episodes will have a much higher audio quality than those old episodes when I had that tiny recorder. I thought it would be interesting to answer a question that I get asked a lot, which is how did you get interested in Feldenkrais? The early episodes are vinyasa yoga. And you may notice if you've been following me for these full 13 years, that maybe five or so years into teaching, my teaching became influenced by the Feldenkrais method. When I first encountered Feldenkrais, it was within a dance context. I was a dance major in college, and I'm also a professional dancer. And it was It wasn't until I was in my late 20s and I was having a lot of physical pain from dance injuries and just the general trauma that can come from working professionally as a dancer. And so I sought out the practice of Feldenkrais again. And I was living in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and there was a a local class that I found. And I started taking those classes and I wasn't really so sure The classes were slow, and what I mean by that is they made me slow down. They made me pay attention to my body in a way that sometimes was really challenging because I wasn't always comfortable in my body, meaning I had physical pain. And they made me pay attention in a way that I didn't even do when I was doing yoga. It was something different. And coming from a really strict dance education, there was also a part of me that I think judged how slow and small we were moving. And I wasn't sure if I was doing anything, right? I was, I was used to pushing harder, going faster, making things more extreme, But what I started to find was that this practice of Feldenkrais, whatever it was that I was doing, was incredibly liberating for me. A lot of my dance education when I was young and even in college had a lot to do with achieving a specific shape 
or movement in a quote correct way. And even more so when dancing was my work, when it was what paid the bills. You know, if you don't do something as a dancer, you might be out of a job. So a lot of dancers move through and perform with a lot of pain. And I hope, I think that that's slowly changing. The culture of professional dancing is is slowly changing. But when I was taking these Feldenkrais classes... What was so interesting to me was that the emphasis in class was not on how far you could go or what the shape looked like, but instead the focus was on an internal sensation. It was on the quality of the movement, on feeling how you do a movement, finding some kind of clarity being curious, seeing if you have other choices for how you move. And so there was an emphasis on how the movement can feel pleasant and easy. And this was somewhat radical for me. It was such a liberating experience to be in a setting where I was moving my body, which is something that I clearly love to do, I love to think and learn about the body, but it was in a setting where there wasn't an outside authority that was dominating or governing my experience, right? That being the teacher or the choreographer or the coach. And so this Feldenkrais setting of learning gave me the chance to feel what I was really doing with my body. And it created a container for me to explore what felt good to me, not what the teacher wanted me to look like or what the choreographer wanted me to look like, or even what the teacher thought would feel good for me or what society or culture says I should look like or feel like. And so that was so liberating that it made me curious to study it more. And that was almost 15 years ago. And at that time, I had already been teaching yoga for about five years. And I was curious about how the Feldenkrais method could influence the way that I teach asana. And so before I was ever trained in the Feldenkrais method, I played with this a ton. And you can see the influence of that in my teaching way back when I was still teaching a more vinyasa style class. And the influence might be seen in the way that I bring attention to something in the asana, or perhaps I focus more on the biomechanical movement rather than the achievement of a pose. And Feldenkrais, the method was really designed to make things easier in life, to make functional movements easier. And I think we could also say this about yoga, but a lot of yoga poses are not very functional and stable places to move from. So 
This is what I'm curious now when I'm teaching asana. The current way that I teach yoga is very different from those early podcast episodes. So we're still doing a physical practice. And for many people, the asanas themselves can be a common language for yoga students. But I don't centralize the achievement of an asana in my class anymore. And so when we take asana achievement and set it aside, but we're still doing a physical practice, we're calling it yoga, we're maybe saying that it's Feldenkrais inspired, you know, then what are we doing? And so instead of focusing on the asana, like studying triangle pose, you know, instead I study the movements that make up triangle pose. And maybe after an hour of different movements that make up triangle pose, maybe we get to triangle pose. And if you've been in any of my live classes, you know that I often run out of time at the end of class because I have so much planned and then, oh, we never got to that pose (laughs) that I was thinking about when I was planning the class. And I kind of like that that happens sometimes. So we might not ever get to the triangle pose in class. Sometimes we will get to it at the end. But the preparation for something like triangle pose, so that's the practice in itself. It really doesn't matter if we do the pose in the the end. So for instance, triangle pose consists of thoracic rotation, hip external and internal rotation, depending on what hip, some kind of abduction and adduction of the hip, shoulder abduction, scapula retraction, all of these things. And so I start to focus more on the categories of movement, which are parts of our daily functioning. They're also parts of asana, but that's less of the focus so that it makes the practice more functional for our daily lives. And these smaller movement categories, which I explore with self-massage, different prop usage, breathing practices, Feldenkrais explorations, these are all just smaller pieces of an asana. And so we engage with these movements in all sorts of ways, different muscle actions, including passive range of motion, something that's more restorative, active range of motion, which means developing the strength to move a muscle through its range, strength with resistance of props, awareness via muscular re-education using Feldenkrais techniques, active restorative, which means lying over a bolster, but then engaging, something like that. And then I love isometric muscle engagement. So we're loading the the muscles to make a request to make a movement, but you don't actually move through a big range. And the isometric active restoratives is a way that a lot of students find insight and educate themselves on what it feels like to activate and to engage in a new way and engage the muscles that we're actually looking for to engage. 
within an asana. So that's a kind of long-winded answer to the question of why I got into Feldenkrais and how it has influenced how I teach asana now. So I replace the achievement of asana with ways of moving, playing with different muscle actions, using movement a little bit more therapeutically, and also using imagery. I'm a very technical teacher, but imagery and language are quite important to me. And sometimes that makes the technical part a little less intimidating and more accessible. If you are looking for a class that is the most asana focused that I teach, that would be my Sunday morning class. I've been teaching Sunday mornings for almost 10 years now. It's been a stable constant in my life. And it's where I teach the closest to a a more traditional asana class. So that's me. May I introduce myself or reintroduce myself? I'm Sarah. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You might know me from when I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts. My day starts with green tea. 100% dark chocolate, some kind of nut butter, a combo of moving and sitting still, rolling around on the floor, being upside down, lifting something heavy, which could be a weight or could be a cat. My secret talent is definitely race walking, which I competed in the Junior Olympics. My old but still current obsession for sure is listening to podcasts, not of the yoga variety, and gardening, and the ocean. I almost only read nonfiction. I'm a very bad fiction reader. Usually that nonfiction is somehow related to the body. I end my day with snuggles with my cats, more 100% dark chocolate, and lying on my back on the floor. So you may want to try that, lying down on the floor. And if you're listening to this, you probably know what I mean. If you listen to any of my other podcasts, you know what I mean. If you're craving some nervous system settling or a little bit more active movement, go find an older episode and enjoy your body today. It is always my pleasure to teach class for you, and I welcome your requests, and I appreciate all of your reviews, and support over the years, all 13 of them. Are you enjoying this podcast? I've chosen to offer these audio recordings freely for over 15 years. I do this because research shows yoga, yoga nidra, and Feldenkrais to be valuable practices, those which I would like to share widely. 
Donna, the Buddhist practice of generosity, has always been a pillar of my business. And more generally, Donna is the inclination to give, to give without expecting any form of repayment. It does, however, take a fair amount of time, effort, and cost to maintain and keep the podcasts available. If you feel you've benefited from what you've learned from these classes, then please do consider making a contribution towards the maintenance and upkeep of the classes. It will help ensure that I can continue to offer the podcast classes freely and keep generating new material. Give what you can, give what feels good. If it's too little, it won't feel good. If it's too much, it won't feel good. Links to support the show monetarily can be found in the show notes. And other ways to give include sharing the podcast with others, leaving a five-star rating and review, or just sending me an email with how the classes have affected you. Thanks so much.